by the time you hear this podcast, you'll really, 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 really like us. I really want to stop, but I just got the taste for it. I feel like I could fly with the ball on the moon. So honey, hold my hands, you like making me wait for it. I feel like I could die walking up to the room. Oh yeah. Late night watching television. But how we get in this position is way too soon. I know this isn't love. But I need to tell you something. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with episode 155. Hey, I can't drive 155. You you probably shouldn't. Nope, should not. No, because I'd die. Yep, that's pretty fast. Or get pulled over, whichever happened first. <laughs> not sure. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who has listened and watched and downloaded so far. Follow us on social media. Um shared the podcast told your friends about it follow the the page yeah uh any of that we definitely appreciate it and we have some um some things coming because we got ideas mm-hmm. so uh thank you for joining us here again as you go on a podcast journey with the um the white stripes of podcasting <laughs> <laughs> So related? Are, are, were they related? They were married. They're married. Yeah, I, I'm not. Okay, married. we're not. We're not. well. We are. He is married, but not to yeah. me. I was about to say, I'm not married. Wait, yes, you I are am. married. I yes, am. You got to You got to get used to saying that now. Yeah, man, it's been two years, man. I got to get. Oh yeah, you just had your uh, anniversary. No, that's, it's coming up. It's coming up the end of this month. Why uh, do I think the wedding was on the August first? No, it's thirty first. August 31st. Okay. So I have like a 50% chance of getting it okay. right. <laughs> it was August something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a first in there somewhere. So um, let's get to some music news. Um, well, I want to start out with what, what Ben showed me before we, we started recording. So we talked before about Taylor Swift doing uh, <laughs> Taylor's version of her albums. Oh, man. Yeah, these are fun. And uh, Fearless is already out. Uh, and we knew that Red was coming in November, I believe. Red was like the crossover, really. Yeah, that was the one that had 22 on it. Yeah, and we were and never we're getting never... back together. Yeah. I always saying that song is... <laughs> we're never ever ever eating fries together. <laughs> uh so she's coming out with that one, but um you had some news about the the track listing on that. 
So very funny, because I'm guessing maybe she's got that feeling like, what's the, when you do a re-release, what are you giving your listener different, you know, your fans? So um, on Reddit, they shared her Instagram post, and you, if, unless you've got like a microscope, you can't read the, the picture, but <clears throat> she released the track list, and it is, drum roll, 30 tracks long. What are you doing, Taylor? 30 that's a double album. <laughs> it's a double, a little self-indulgent, right? I mean, <clears throat> I know some people do the re-releases, you know, a deluxe version where they, but they add like two or three tracks that didn't make it the first time around, you yeah. know, give it's you a little extra. Deluxe, deluxe version. This is a, a, yeah, this is, this yeah. is extra. Including a 10 minute version from the vault, she says version of the song all too well i don't even know if i know the song all too well and like what is taylor doing like she's not like playing guitar solos and like keyboard solos and stuff like that so what is it for 10 minutes i mean like dare i say it this feels like the Zack snyder justice league it's four hours but like man there's things and i I know shout out to abe who's probably like he never thought he'd hear me say this there's some things that could have been cut from that movie as much as i enjoyed it there were things that could have been cut from that movie. Just like there's probably things that could have been cut from this 10-minute version of a Taylor Swift song. I don't even care if it's 10 minutes of You Belong With Me. Were you sing- <laughs> you're just going to keep singing the hook? <laughs> Run it back, guys. Like, what are you doing? Her music, doesn't, her music just doesn't, doesn't call for that. Uh, one song that does make me happy, though, is um, her version of Better Man. So apparently she's... I don't know if it's going to be a demo. It doesn't say. Or if it's going to be a fully produced song. Better Man, of course, is the song she wrote for uh, the group um, Little Big Town. Won a Grant, not a Grammy, won a CMA Award for Song of the Year. I I've was heard nominated it, for a Grammy. Or it was for a Grammy, too? For Best Country Song. Well, I, I know believe. it won for the CMA for a Song of the Year. I didn't know it was nominated for a Grammy, too, which would be impressive. I think we talked about it. Um but I've heard her play it at the Bluebird Cafe up in Nashville. It was pretty cool. Um, I've always wanted to hear her demo of it because I could. You could kind of tell there was one from the way that the woman from the um, from the um, from the uh, from the little big town sang it. You could kind of tell there was a demo with um, reference yeah, vocals. It was. It won a Grammy for best country duo group performance. Okay. And was nominated for best country song. Nice. So, uh, yeah, hearing her version of it will be um, interesting, but it's so she's doing a lot. She's doing the most, Greg. She's she's doing way thirty tracks is way too much. Any other era, that's a double album. But let's be real, any other era, she's not even doing this. No, because they're just like sit back, little girl, and be happy with. <laughs> even though she's like thirty, they're like sit back, little girl, back, little girl. and be happy with your success. <laughs> and I mean, I guess you could say that kind of goes to show how far women in music have kind of come i was watching a video talking about all the bs that heart had to put up with back when they started out and how people are like girls can't rock and like you kind of think about it now it's kind of like well that's a silly premise but you know back then they're out there getting hated on by people nancy wilson and you know is a, um nancy's the guitar player right yeah great guitar player but people disrespected her so I say all that to say, and you know, these 30, 40 plus years or so, we've come a long way to where, I mean, if you really think about it, like the biggest singers in the world are all women. Your Beyonce's, your Selena 
Gomez's, your Taylor Swift's, your Halsey's. They're the biggest entertainers in the world. So um, more power to them. And then, you know, of course, um, the one place you just have to respect Taylor Swift is just her artist empowerment, writer empowerment. So, you know, even though it's overindulgent, I get why she's doing it. She's trying to set a precedent um, so that artists don't have to deal with this crap later. So maybe people will think twice before they take away their masters, which could really just kind of segue us into another story <laughs> that you mentioned. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. Okay. Uh, the first story I wanted to get to, I heard this on The Right Time with Bomani's. Um, I don't know how much we talked about it before, but uh, if everyone's familiar with <clears throat> the album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin by the Wu-Tang Clan, there it is famous for there being exactly one copy. <laughs> Farmer. <laughs> one copy that was sold, and it was bought by Martin Shkreli, a.k.a. Pharma Bro. Um, he bought it for, I believe he bought it for like $2 million. And yeah, something something to that effect. Um, he had bought it for, yeah, he bought it for $2 million. And then when he was convicted of securities fraud, uh, federal court seized his assets belonging to him worth $7.36 million, which included this album. That just seems like something he'd do. And uh, Screlly's lawyer, Benjamin Braffman. He sounds like, let me stop. <laughs> who is known for representing accused mafia uh, criminals. Anyway, uh, he said the album is now probably worthless. But lo and hold, <clears throat> about two weeks ago, it was announced by Jacqueline Kasulis, who was the acting U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York, stated that the Department of Justice had sold the album in connection with the approximately $7.4 million forfeiture judgment entered against Shkreli when he was sentenced in March 2018. So somebody bought it and all his other stuff and paid $7.4 million. There's the buyer some, is anonymous yeah. and entered into a confidentiality agreement. Well, in regards to the how much was paid for the album, but they did buy $7.4 million of Martin Shkreli stuff. Um, and when I heard, the, heard that on that podcast, they said that it's very likely that that person probably isn't that cool of a person either. M my guess, I'd be willing to bet $7 million on it. Jeff Bezos. And that's why it's private, because he's gotten so much heat lately, so much crap. Um, it just seems like something he'd do. Maybe Branson did it. Maybe. That, that's, that would be my second guess. It's somebody to whom $7 million is like drop in the $7 to us. <laughs> Not even $7. Seven-tenths. Of a dime. Yeah, they're just seven like seven point four million dollars. Seven tenths of cushions. a penny. Yeah, got him a couch cushion. You, you, you gotta take it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, someone bought someone. It's that album is someone has it now, um, and they're probably just as big of a jerk as Martin Shkreli. <laughs> uh, the next story 
Um, okay, that's what I was calling. The next story. Um, so, for those who like to stream their music <laughs> on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Amazon, wherever, there's a certain artist that people enjoyed that their music is not, not all of their music, not as far as their albums, and not even songs they did for soundtracks are on streaming services, and that is Aaliyah. And for the past 10 years at least, uh, the music has not been on any streaming services, but it's coming back. Change is going to come. <laughs> Finally. Um, and uh, actually, there's a story that I guess um, TMZ ran into Tank. Like the singer? Yeah. His music was also not on. Is he a part of streaming. this deal as well? Well, it's, I, it looks like it's uh, those associated with Black Ground Records, so yeah. that would include JoJo, yeah. who you mentioned before we start recording. Um, yeah, they're out. Those albums on Black Ground were not on streaming, and uh, as Tank has said, he's missed out on a lot of money because his music's not <laughs> on there. And uh, it looks like on September seventeenth, his album will be on streaming. Uh, I, I thought I saw something with the dates. It's coming in the next yeah. couple of weeks that so, Aaliyah's uh, music will be back on streaming. Okay, because I have her dates in front of me, but I don't okay. have the tank dates. Okay, what are what are Aaliyah's dates? So they're actually, it's funny, they're doing it like freaking album releases. So on the 20th, one in a million, because um, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number's already on there. That was not on Blackground. Yeah. Um, September 3rd, the Romeo Must Die soundtrack. September 10th, the self-titled Aaliyah, which was the last album she made before she died. And then um, October 8th, and I don't know what this is, but I feel like they're giving her the Prince treatment. I Care For You plus Ultimate Aaliyah. That was, uh, that came out maybe a year or two after, originally, mm -hmm. after her death. It was some unreleased songs and, okay. and one, like, new one. Okay. Which I think she was kind of already for... working on the next project, and mm -hmm. it was partially done okay yeah that's that's i don't know what made them i mean as we've said essentially but you know when you're when you're cold in the ground they're just trying to find ways to make money off of you i will say i'm a little shocked at how long it took for them to capitalize off of Aaliyah. um i know we had always read that her uncle was a little crazy well that's the thing he he owned everything so that's the thing he he kind of still didn't want to do it Oh, for real? <laughs> oh, that sucks. Um, Maybe they run him a check. That, that was Big old check. <laughs> the story is for the last 10 years, uh, he had been, um, he had control. And now that he is, he is now 73 years old. He's had a stroke. Oh. He's reconsidering some things. Money. So. He needs money for, <laughs> for medical bills. Uh, now, the background is his label. Yeah. And um, they have been the the albums have been kept off of digital platforms and have been out of print mm. for a lot of the last twenty years. And um, Aaliyah died on August twenty fifth, two thousand one. So we're coming up on twenty years. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has secured a deal with 
independent Bay Area music company, Empire, that will make the entire Blackground catalog, uh, which will include albums by Timbaland and Magoo. So, oh, Jumps the Boogie yes. may, should, should be on there, Finally. I guess. Oh, um, Tank and Tony Braxton and JoJo oh, God. will be available on streaming for the first time ever. And there will be physical copies. So, if people want to get the physical copy, they'll be out there. All the boomers and Gen Xers. Let me stop. <laughs> Let me stop. I'm sorry. Oh, this is excellent, though. I've been, I've been missing. I want some Timbaland Magoo. I want to I want to deep dive into their catalog. So, um, as you said, it will have her her albums. It will also have the soundtracks for Romeo Must Die and Queen of the Damned. Um, I don't have any other dates as far as the other artists um uh, aside from tank but that's a lot of that was a lot of good music for the late 90s early 2000s that people can't stream i'm just curious um has that ship set sail because i think we said this on here before what does Aaliyah mean to this generation and this generation make no bones about it is the biggest consumer of music via legal means and streaming because they grew up in it they've adopted it so if i'm a gen zer and even like a, a a younger millennial what what is Aaliyah to me you know like i might know like what if, if at first you don't succeed and um the other song she did um baby girl i can't think of the name i can't think of the name of the song oh are you that somebody? are you that somebody like maybe you know those two, but like, do you know one in a million? Do you know if your girl only knew four page? Like, do you know those songs? Because I was in middle school when those songs came out. Like, yeah. so I mean, like, think about like, yeah, she died twenty years ago, but like, one in a million came out. Like, that had to be ninety six, ninety six or ninety seven. Like, that's an yeah. old record. So like, what does that mean? Like, I think that's on. You know, that's a missed opportunity to really have struck gold maybe 10 years ago when streaming was burgeoning um, to really get this new, this younger generation into her. Well, you know, you can kind of blame uh, Barry, Barry Hankerson, Hankerson yeah. for all of this. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it says here that, you know, after uh, Aaliyah's death, um, it was in the middle of Black Ground's run. That's who that that's the the label I associate with Timberland mm-hmm. and and Missy uh, is is that is that particular label. You know, it was up there with No Limit and Cash Money mm-hmm. and Bad Boy and Death I think Row. they were distributed by Jive, right? Black Ground. Um, Universal. Universal. Okay. Um. So they went on and and they kept going through two thousand seven. And actually, no, they were under, uh, they were with Virgin Records. Virgin? Okay. And then that fell apart, and then they got a new deal with Universal, okay. which didn't, they didn't get their money. And then there were lawsuits by Tony Braxton and Timberland and JoJo Oof. over unreleased material and breaches of contract. And then by the end of the 2000s, Blackgrounds distribution deals with universal subsidiaries ended leaving those uh artists trapped in well in limbo Mm. with little leverage of what they can do with their own Mm. material uh jojo actually 
re-recorded her two albums mm-hmm. um, in this way that Taylor Swift did, I guess not to the same acclaim, but no. she re-recorded those two albums and she put them out independently. Tank is still trying to get control of his masters and that's about it. So there's 17 albums and two contracts that are not um, that are not streaming and there are um, unreleased demos of Aaliyah that have not been released. Mm. So um, fans have been calling for it, of course. Oh, yeah. And Hankerson has said some things. Uh, his son has said some things. But Aaliyah's estate, run by Aaliyah LLC on behalf of her mother and her brother, um, they're not with it, really. Oh, wait. So Aaliyah's estate doesn't want to do this? Well, they... That's weird. They've been trying to get control of it. Oh, so they're mad that they don't want it done because they're not doing it, essentially. It's kind of like that, a little bit. Uh, but in 2012, after Anderson sold a portion of the Black Ground catalog to the boutique rights management company Reservoir, there was even a new track released on SoundCloud featuring vocals from Drake, along with officially announced plans for a posthumous album from Aaliyah of new material produced by Drake and Noah Forty. Drake would have totally been all that would have been his his Rihanna. If like if he was around if he was a rapper of that era, I could totally see him like trying to be in movies with her, basketball games. Like I just she seems like the type of chick he'd be into. I don't know why. He had to fight Dame Dash for her. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And we saw how Dame Dash did uh, on backstage. Dude's crazy. Uh, <laughs> So after that, they uh, distanced themselves from that, saying they weren't comfortable moving forward with the project. So, well, they. So with Hankerson, he was saying there was going to be some things. But then after, like, something fell through, that's when the mom and brother kind of backed backed off. They wanted it. They were they were going to be a part of it, but it's kind of like I guess it's more like. They don't believe him. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if, how time. much I trust him either. I mean, he hasn't really. He's just, I don't know. He's just been so, in my opinion, he's. it sounds like he's been very selfish over all these years. <sighs> to, to quote a, fr- a friend of mine on Facebook, Garth Brooks is 2021. Like, what are you trying to prove? Barry Hankerson, it is 2020. What, what have you been trying to prove? You know, so it's. It's one of those things that's, that's been a, a long time in the making. I hate it that the family's not going to get much, but unfortunately, that's how the music industry works. I'm sure they'll get something, but, like, you just, she doesn't know, she didn't own her master, so you don't either, you know? And it was, um, well, like I said, the, the project that was going to be Drake and 40, mm-hmm. they backed off, too. Yeah. Um, Noah 40 should be, he said, Aaliyah's mother said, I don't want this out. That was enough for me. Yeah. So uh, Complex put out an article in 2016, putting the blame on Hankerson. And he has a lot of prior lawsuits. He is. uh, And saying it was Hankerson's grief over his niece's death, as well as his inability to bring himself to approve of unreleased material that held up any deal. One of Complex claims as to why the catalog remained in limbo 
that Hankerson's grief turned to despondency, despondency turned to inertia, was at least partially true. I just, I, I, and I guess maybe I should look into this. Oh, that's why I thought that Jive distributed her first album. I've always wondered what his, um, his qualifications was. Was it just being the uncle of a famous singer? Because it, it's just like, who? Why is he making these decisions? Why is he? Well, he had he had the career, like, he had the record label. Her parents managed her career. Her brother was a confidant. Her cousin was an executive producer on her albums. Mm. And so it was a family. What's into the, it looks like it was a family business. Yeah, that's managing what, yeah. her career. Uh, but once Aaliyah died, everything changed. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know how much of it is the. Uh, I mean, you can't tell someone how to grieve. No. Uh, you can't tell someone how long to grieve either. Um, but perhaps someone can still grieve and be active mm-hmm. and still protect that person's legacy in this regard. Yeah. Because at what point does it get to be where you just have to recognize, like, it's, this is bigger than me and what I feel? At what point do you do you realize that? Like, is it are the and this is a question I can't answer, but it's like, are the feelings of one person more important than the feelings of millions of people? You've got one person who is like, I don't want to do this because I, I can't deal right now. And you've got millions of people who are like, do it. <laughs> well, and also in this regard, this is what Hankerson said, his, his side. Um, he has not spoken to his sister and nephew regularly since Aaliyah died. And he takes their feelings into consideration. And when the final distribution deal lapsed, the music went out of print. And he focused on honoring their wishes. And he says there was a conversation we had that she didn't want the music out. And whatever my sister told me, I tried to do what she wanted me to do. Mm. As a parent, I would understand if she didn't want the music out. Because who wants to hear the voice of your daughter who's Mm. gone? So when she said that to me, I said, okay, we're not putting it out. I don't know when, but one day we will. We literally packed everything up and went on to something else. Mm. But there's some some dispute with that um, because he, regardless of what this article says, regardless of the reason, over the years, the catalog is sat on the shelf untouched. And Hankerson says he, as Hankerson says, he waited for the tenor of the conversation to change. Uh, from time to time, an artist or label would inquire about sampling or covering one of the songs in the catalog. But with the path to success unlikely, one source says that rarely did anyone try very hard. Mm-hmm. The early low monetary returns from streaming in the first part of the 2010s did little to encourage a reversal. And with the regular business and financial freefall, there seemed little to be gained from the endeavor but backlash. Mm. And then... On the 19th anniversary of Aaliyah's death, from uh, whoever manages our Twitter account, says our loyal fans, we're excited to announce that communication has commenced between the estate and various record labels about the status of Aaliyah's music catalog, as well as its availability on streaming platforms in the near future. So, that was from the Twitter account. 
who runs the Twitter account. I don't know, because the same thing was on her Instagram as well, so probably the same people. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. It, it's not... I, it's just hard to... It's uh, complex. It's complicated. Yeah, and there have been some samples they mentioned here. Uh, the the new uh, single from Normani, Wild Side with Cardi B, samples mm-hmm. One in a Million. Mm. Um, Brent Fias has a song. Uh, well, with, with Drake, and Drake says, only time I play the back and forth is Aaliyah record. Yeah. Um. But yeah, as of right now, the only album on streaming is AJ Nothing But a Number, uh, because that was uh, distributed by Jive, um, produced by R. Kelly, and if you want to buy the CD, it's five dollars on Amazon. But I guess, and I don't want to drag this on, but like I could see that affecting Aaliyah's music. But what about the other artists on the on the label? You know. You, you, you held their music hostage as well, so. Yeah. And that, that's why that it, it doesn't quite. Exactly. Yeah, it, it just doesn't. Like, there's still these other compete. artists <laughs> that are still out here, and they're missing out on money. Yeah. Because they, um, because their music is in the same situation. Get Out was a jam, and it was just missing. <laughs> the, the, really, like, uh, only, like, two or three things I know about JoJo. Yeah, that song. And she dated. Remember Freddie Adu? <laughs> I forgot. They she dated, dated him. Ad- and they were like fourteen. Yeah, they were very so, young. That was a really so to say they weird. dated. I mean, what do you say about you know when the couple was fourteen? But uh, yeah, does she so, have that song with Cassidy or something like that? Like Baby I, I It's You know. or something like that? I don't know. I don't know who they were trying to make her. I don't know. And I know you're not supposed to compare artists constantly, but like. I, I, I do it anyway. I'm just looking like, who is she supposed to be? Because she's pretty unique. I, it's like a 14, 15-year-old R&B singer with a huge voice that's doing, like, pop music. It, it just, I don't know. Like, you could close your eyes and she could you could be like, oh, she's black. Like, it's just really, it's like, I don't know. It was uh, really weird. Oh, and also people are, of course, selling unopened CDs of, the of uh, Aaliyah or one in a million, and they could go for a hundred dollars. Shoot, I might see if I can find my sister's copy, shrink wrap it, and try to sell this new. Or if you, if someone has vinyl, uh, could be several hundred dollars if they have the vinyl of either of those records. Oh, watch out, Jack White, he's coming. Jack White's coming. <laughs> Jack White's buying all of them. <laughs> uh, and UCDs are rarely below thirty dollars, hmm. and sometimes fifty dollars. I just burn a copy, print off the artwork. <laughs> so what, what do you, what do you think of this? Like, does because of the other artists, does Hankerson's yeah. story hold up? And that's why I don't think it holds up because yeah, that ex- that's a good point. Yeah, who wants to hear their dead daughter singing? Because it wasn't like you know she lost a long battle battle with cancer and she had time to prepare. Like it was a sudden death. But yeah, that doesn't. For someone like JoJo, I didn't even realize Tank was in that situation. That, that's why I can't listen to Maybe I Deserve. God, I love that song. But, like, yeah, that just doesn't make sense for the other artists that you've screwed over for the last however many years. That's why it just it doesn't make sense and it seems selfish. 
and I'd always heard about like yeah he's just controlling and just it's you know kind of sitting there like with his arms crossed pouting like it's not gonna do it not gonna do it like at that point like when people have to start suing you because you won't play ball it's not about just your dead niece then it's about other things and it's just like why won't you tell us what those other things are (laughs) (laughs) but I guess at this point it's like it'll probably be water under the bridge because we're gonna get what we want we're gonna get the music so everyone will just be like oh whatever I'm like it was so bad they wouldn't even license it for the movie about her yeah (laughs) like come on (laughs) Wendy was desperate to make money someone's like hey we're gonna honor your we're gonna honor your niece in the movie um, it would make it really realistic if we were able to use the music. No, like, oh, okay, okay. Well, can we can we like you know make send ups of the song? No, like it just. And that's the record industry, people. Like you, you when you don't own your music, um, it owns you. Speaking of the music owning you, mm-hmm. De La Soul will finally have their music hit streaming platforms later this year. And they announced this on Instagram Live. Uh, I believe this was yesterday. Or might have been earlier today. Yeah, I saw this this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, they were on the Tommy Boy label, which was... Oh, uh, man, I remember Tommy Boy. Yeah. Not the movie. There Not, was a yeah, label. There was a record label they called did Tommy the, Boy. Um, they did the soundtrack for um, Nothing to Lose with uh, that I'll See You When You Get There and... Um, ladies night and all that stuff. The, um, yeah, Tommy boy was, was pretty, was pretty popping back in the nineties in the hip hop scene. Yeah. Um, see who else did they have on their, on their label? They had African Bambada, Biz Marquis, Capone Noriega, Coolio, Digital Underground, Everlast, Ghostface. Gucci was on there. Uh, House of Pain. Wow. Uh, LFO, Method Man, Naughty by Nature, Queen Latifah, um, Planet Patrol, Sneaker Pimps, That's a Sonic. Mm. So coughing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's crazy. Okay. So yeah, they um Joy Drop. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So uh, in in June of this year, Tommy Boy was acquired by Reservoir Media, who we talked about before, um, for a hundred million dollars. And uh, De La Soul had been in a battle after leaving the label thirty years ago. Um, no, I'm sorry. They left the label last year and they had been with the label for 30 years after uh, negotiations fell apart on streaming rights. And they said, we're working hard and diligently along with the good folks at Reservoir to get this done. We sat down and we got it done pretty quickly. Actually, it was kind of impressive how fast we got it done. Maybe in two weeks time tops. So, um, Three Feet High and Rising, which exploded, put them on the map. Then their album, De La Soul is Dead. And 1993's Balloon Mind State will be on streaming later this year. 
The deal was delayed by clearance issues related to the albums as well as what De La Soul seemed was an unfair split of the streaming profits, and the label was only giving the group 10% of the profits, with Tommy Boy pocketing the rest. So uh, I think that's fair to, you know, we, we to fight for, you know, in negotiations to get more of the more of the split. You know, they're the ones that did it. Yeah. And this is just I mean, you know, we've talked about this before with not owning your masters. Mm-hmm. You're at the mercy of the label and they can do whatever they want. With or whoever it. just or whoever owns whoever it. owns it, because yeah. it could be Michael Jackson <laughs> could own your masters. <laughs> Just depends on who they sell them to. Um, so what they what they had to do, um, uh, they had been in legal limbo, including issues surrounding uncleared samples. Because there's, uh, they sampled a lot. The uncleared sample, man. Always begin people, man. Uh, prevented them from allowing their music to be made available for streaming. And they circumvented the red tape by releasing their entire catalog for free for 25 <laughs> hours. That was in 2014. <laughs> so, um, so they're they're happy with 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 what is coming out, and uh, you'll be able to hear it later this year. But when you don't own your masters, trying to get them after the fact. Oh yeah, especially if you're proven to be. Um, successful and they're proven to be worth something. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, good on someone like Sir Mixlot who just who never sold their masters in the first place. Yeah, you know, good on Soldier Boy who I would always hear for years before I really kind of looked start looking at this. Oh yeah, he owns his masters. I never realized what that meant, but like, can you imagine the money he was making on ringtones, owning yeah. his publishing? Like Soldier Boy probably never has to work a day in his life. He's probably making. He music. still he still does make yeah. music, but it doesn't probably, matter if it's a hit or fun. not. Yeah, Cause I mean, like so, some people will buy it because he still tours around the world. Yeah, but uh, he doesn't have to do it. No. He can do whatever he wants now. Mm-hmm. It's so. very interesting. Yeah, if you yeah, but meaning that's you know, that's just kind of one of those things where it. <sighs> Some you, there might be instances where you're just not in the position to to own your masters. You know, you might not have that leverage. But if you do, <laughs> own them. <laughs> so um, a clip I wanted to play here is from uh, we talked about this probably two years ago, um, right when Tyler the Creator released Igor and. Um, we talked about like the different packages people can get if they did mm-hmm. the pre-order like, with Tyler Creator. You can get like some stickers, uh, a sign you can put on your lawn, like he's running for office, and um, a couple other things. But there was a package with that, and how with DJ Khaled, he tried to make it as if if you bought this energy drink, you also get the album. And Billboard wasn't having that. They said mm-hmm. like that you that doesn't count, and DJ Khaled's album debuts at number two. Tyler, the creator, debuts at number one. DJ Khaled criticized the the album, saying it's not real music or it's not real hip hop. And uh, a couple of years later, Tyler, the creator, has something to say. And uh, once this ad stops playing, <laughs> then um, 
We'll play the clip. Uh, and like their outside is definitely at the ill club with their boys. Like, nigga, we at lakes. <laughs> like, is that, is that part of the like, is that well, part of the alligators, nigga? We like <laughs> we trying to skydive. That's my outside though. We having picnics and like. Is that part of the whole Khaled thing? Like you felt like at the time. Oh, before we continue, this is he's on Hot ninety seven with uh, Ebro, Laura Styles, Rosenberg. I know who y'all. Y'all are likely to know who that is. I've seen their faces. <laughs> I don't listen to the radio, so I know I don't know anything about them really. So uh, I know Hot ninety seven is a big deal, and y'all and Breakfast Club and all mm-hmm. that. So, but he's he's interviewing with them. Time when that conversation happened, bro. That Khaled thing was like. It was fun. It was just watching a man die inside because the under the under, the, the guy that you know the weirdo was winning. I was moonwalking in a wig. This nigga had everyone on his album. Everyone. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> this but, bridge gonna work. <laughs> so, but but, but it's but, to the same point, but again, isn't it? About like, not understanding what's again, happening. Not in the understanding, like, and he wasn't wrong. Like, I'm not in the barber shop. I'm not at the club. I'm not did it did it skinny. I'm not in the back of the Maybach. <laughs> Right? And he's not wrong. But, like, His shit what is now? big where it's big, and your shit is big where it's what, big. But, like, yes, yeah, so well, when I got that number one, it was... that the world is one-dimensional. It's not all... That's what I'm saying, it's bro. Not. And it's, like, a piece of me really didn't like that at all because it's... Like, man, I make, I make rap music. I love rap music. I make music, but rap is my thing. And it was, it was, it was already making alternative rap and not fully being, again, accepted by, like, the BETs or, like, a lot of them shit I've been dealing with me, and that's dealing with my whole life. So for some guy like that to kind of indirectly be like, that ain't real rap, that ain't real black music, that's what it felt like. And I was like, my nigga, don't, don't do, but I didn't say nothing. I just let that number one speak. Nigga Ego had to deal with that because his whole identity is being number one. And when he didn't get that, that sat with him longer in real lifetime than that moment. I moved on. I went and did some shows. We went to London. Cool. Didn't think about it. That sat with him because his whole identity is we the best. We the number one. And when the underdog to him took that away from him, the nigga ego was deflated. He'll probably never admit it. But, but, and you do. And har- I saw, and it's no, it's no hard feelings towards him because I was going to rap over, uh, I was going to rap over, uh, you got the right one. It's Weezy fucking, ba- uh, uh, holla at me. I was going to rap over that, uh, for the comics, you get lost shit. I didn't end up doing it. But, like, man, DJ Khaled, man, what he's done. And he was an underdog, was too, doing, and built his way was, up, too, yes, from nothing, so, like, from Pirate Radio. So I got, I do have some sort of respect for him, because, man, like, again, I was 14, 15 in 06. And when he, he was coming out. 05 to, like, 02, like, but you he was still doing have, this but- So, yeah. Um, what do you think of uh, Tyler's perspective on that? It's interesting because he really just doesn't care. Like it's, it seems like it was kind of just a lark to him, but it meant everything to DJ Khaled. <laughs> and I think the thing that meant the most to him was the fact that it meant everything to DJ Khaled. And that and that just that's amusing to me <laughs> that he just he doesn't care. Like now, I thought it was interesting that he didn't bring up the whole tour package thing. Um, 
which I don't think matters. I mean, because everyone, as we've seen, everyone's doing something well, the, to get their album sold. But nowadays. the way that Tyler did it is legit. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not like not if you, if you not, or if you got a ticket for the tour, you get the album. Yeah, everybody does that. Yeah, which was but like the way DJ yeah. Khaled did it was sneaky. Cheese. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's everyone's trying something different just because no one buys albums anymore. So it's just like, what can I do to to push these units? Um, but that was the the fact that, and I'd seen that clip where he was just like, yeah, he has predicated himself on being the best. We the best. N- not not this week, <laughs> not th- and that's what made it funny because it's like you could just tell like DJ Khaled was just stewing, and and Tyler the Creator's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's like I I moonwalking across a <laughs> moonwalking in a wig, like we went to London and you know, had a good time. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny to me, like it, you can tell he cared, but like he just seemed like he was still indifferent about it. Like it happened and it is what it is. Yeah, I I think he was. He wasn't going to be bothered. He wasn't bothered by it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was oh well. It, it partially bothered him because it was as if DJ Khaled is saying you're not making well, yeah. real music. So that part did, and I know that's something that you and I have probably dealt with. Not necessarily about the music that we make, but just our, our taste in music. Right. Like you know, y'all don't listen to black stuff. What is black stuff? Like what is? <laughs> Like what is black stuff, and 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 we do listen to black stuff, but it's not like I feel like some people make it their identity to listen to yeah. that type of music, whereas our identity is to listen to everything, and that's okay. Um, and I hate it when artists have to deal with that. Like you're not, like you're too, too street. Because I know he said he wanted it to be considered a pop album. Right. Um, it's like you're too street for for pop and too pop for the street. It's just like where do you fit in? <laughs> Where do you fit in? Um, and so I could, I, I totally, and yeah, I, forgot, I didn't even really mean to gloss over that, but yeah, I totally felt him there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I understand it too. And that's why, like, I, it took me a long time to, to get to the point where there is no white music. Yeah. There is white people that do music, <laughs> but there is no white music. Yeah. Everything is black. Yeah. Everything. Country, black. Yeah. Metal, Black. Every form of American music is pop music. It's just yeah. R and B, but if they're white, you get to call it pop. Or if they're white, you get to call it rock and roll instead of the blues. So, but rock and roll is yeah. black. Yeah, so, is R and B sped up? Yeah, with extra guitars or something. So, effect. and it's funny because it's like blues black. Gospel like black. you'll never. There's some black people. Unfortunately, you'll never convince that. You'll never convince them of that. Um, cause I remember I had that conversation with somebody and I was like, I was like, well, I'm like, if you look at the roots of country music, you know, it comes from country blues, which comes from blues, which was, you know, originally made by black people. Well, I don't like what they did. Which with is, it. and blues is, comes from gospel. Yeah. He's like, I don't like what they did with it. Well, I mean. Blues is, is gospel <laughs> with secular lyrics. It's like, well, I don't care if you <laughs> like what they did with it. Just acknowledge, and this was a black guy, just acknowledge the fact that, like, the absurdity of the statement that, like, country music is not black music. Like, that's the absurdity of that statement, especially now with bro country, but I'm not going to go there. But Black people, <laughs> what black person is going to sing songs about, they'll sing songs about, you know, if their baby cheated on them. Yeah. And that'll be blues music. 
you know, with the, you know, the music you hear in those infomercials with, you know, ZZ Hill yep. and Bobby Blue Bland. Add a fiddle and a steel guitar. Now it's country. country. <laughs> That's a, and a banjo <laughs> for good effect. That's country. Now, now it's country. But black people aren't singing about tractors. No. Well, some are some depending on what part oh, well, of the country. I, 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 don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know where those I don't know where those South black people Georgia, are. South Georgia, but <laughs> if they're if they're out there, okay. I I don't want to deny your existence. We I just never heard it before. Cowboy Troy, whoever he's from, <laughs> he's from Texas. It's he's so, from Texas. It's so sad because like now all country music is, and I don't care if I sound old. Now all country music is is a hip hop beat with like a little bit of a rock edge and fiddles and a banjo like that's all it is nowadays it's just like that's how you make a a country now, song now that i think about it cowboy troy he combined a form of music created by black people and another form of music created by black people <laughs> that's why it didn't work it was too black it was too black. cowboy troy was too black it's like this is just too there's too much rhythm here like there's <laughs> Why is he rapping over this? Oh man! One uh, one day, maybe he'll hear this. He'll hear all this, all all the praise we heap upon him, and the and the how he was just ahead of his time. Like, he was. But you won't walk into a bar and hear anyone playing. I play chicken with the train. No sir, you'll hear redneck woman. You'll hear all the artists that stood by him. You just won't hear him. And that is a shame. Because I heard all of the music mafia stuff, which I think they were just they were ahead of their time in general. But heard all that stuff in Nashville. I'm here for the party. Uh, we're saving a horse riding cowboy, redneck woman, no cowboy Troy. And I thought about like, if I had twenty dollars in cash, I considered going up to the band because they would take twenty bucks for a request and be like, "Do you guys know any cowboy Troy?" <laughs> just to see if they were just like this <laughs> a to see if like if they either said like, "Hell yeah, we'll play somewhere," who. <laughs> cowboy who? Cowboy Troy? Like he turns like you ever heard of Cowboy Troy? Is y'all, that, he's like y'all ever heard of Cowboy? Like, you know what somebody <laughs> might have said is did Pastor Troy make a country album that we don't know about? <laughs> Lil Troy from from Houston? Did he make a country album? Like, that's how about? that's how that's how you know how deep they go in this country stuff. Like if they like Cowboy Troy, yeah, they just like fire it up. <laughs> Then they're like in there. If not, they're just pretending. They're just like, I mean, I know some like Cowboy Keith Urban. Like, no, that's not the no, same thing. Not, not I'm talking exactly. about Cowboy Troy. Which one of you can rap? Like, one of you. So yeah, with um, I I appreciate that that Tyler uh, added some perspective, provided mm-hmm. some perspective on that. Um. And he's, and nothing really changed for him. No. But uh, well, he's also like way more respected critically yeah. than than DJ Khaled. No offense to DJ, DJ Khaled, but he's way more people respect respect. Tyler well, because Breeder. he's a he is a musician. Yeah. He is a writer. Mm-hmm. He is a he's a producer. Yeah. All of that. While DJ Khaled is Nick Fury. Nick Fury. <laughs> yes. Just get them together, and I'll get them in a room. Like <laughs> you guys make the magic. What you gonna do? Stand here shouting, "We're the best." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's get to the charts here. 
the Billboard Hot 100 number one this week. Stay by the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. That song is everywhere on on social media. I, I haven't heard the song. People love the um. So, because I have a lot of producers that I follow, and they they're giving away all the secrets. Like, stop it. They're like, if you like this song, you probably like, and you like this part. And they talk about like, there's a part where the voice he reverses echoes, the voice, and then cuts it off, and that's the part that a lot of people like. And he's and there are people just giving away all the secrets. It's like, yeah, that's just it. You just do it like this, and they show you. I'm like, stop it, stop <laughs> it, because you're gonna have people imitating this stuff. People are about to go out and start downloading Melodyne and be like, I can sing. Like, it's gonna be bad. And then T Pain will have to make another rant video. <laughs> Do something else. That's already a Justin Bieber. <laughs> That's already a Kid Leroy. <laughs> That's already a Dua Lipa, Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> Do something else. Although he could say that to Olivia. There's already a Paramore. <laughs> That's already a Haley Williams. <laughs> Speaking of Olivia Rodrigo, she's number two this week with Good For You. Number three, Levitating by Dua Lipa featuring the baby. I I think there's a Morgan Wallen effect with this yeah, song. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Number four, Butter by BTS. It was number one last week. Number five, Bad Habits by The Weeknd Imitator, Ed Sheeran. Number six, History More by uh, Doja Cat featuring SZA. Number seven, Industry Baby, Lil Nas X, and Jack Harlow. It was number two last week. Number eight, Montero, Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X. Number nine, Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. And number 10, Save Your Tears by The Weeknd and Ariana Grande. Let's look at the Billboard 200. These are the top 10 albums debuting at number one. Billie Eilish, Happier Than Ever. Number two, Fuck Love. By the Kid Leroy, it debuted at number one last <laughs> week. Number three, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo, debuting at number four. Welcome to America by Prince. Hmm. I've heard a couple of songs. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, big of a fan as Prince of Prince as I am, still sounded like demos. I wonder he would have never haven't. allowed this. That's why they. That's why these songs stayed in the vault. I wonder why they didn't go back and do stuff to them. I. I don't know. I had, then you're, you're, can you duplicate Prince's production? How he produces? What he's looking for? What he's listening for? I don't know. Who can actually do that? I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm racking my brain right now, trying to think of somebody who is similar to how he thinks. But I really can't think of anyone right now. If it is someone, it's probably someone who like we just don't know. This out there just like, oh, yeah, man, I've studied his production technique and has, like, the same drum kit, the Lynn drum kit and everything. It's like, <laughs> just, like, sitting there. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't know who. Yeah. That just that uh, makes me sad, though. Uh, number five, Planet Her by Doja Cat. Number six, Still Hanging Around, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Number seven, The House is Burning by Isaiah Rashad. Number eight, The Voice of the Heroes, Lil Baby and Lil Dirk. Number nine, Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa. And number 10, Hall of Fame by Polo G. And let's look at the Artist 100. She's got the number one album. Billie Eilish is number one this week. Number two, Olivia Rodrigo. Number three, BTS. Number four, unranked last week, but re-enters at number four, Prince. 
Number five, Doja Cat. Number six, Dua Lipa. Number seven, Ed Sheeran. Number eight, The Weeknd. Number nine, The Nicest Man in Country, <laughs> Luke Combs. And number 10, Justin Bieber. What I find funny, I... Okay, number 17 last week, number 18. As well as his album does, I'm guessing his fans just don't use social media. Because you would think that Morgan Wallow would be in the top 10 consistently. But, like, he doesn't really seem to be in there very much. Like, he hangs around kind of. But, like, it's a double album, and it stays selling records. Like, <laughs> Well, if they go on social media and search Morgan Wallen, they may not like what they find. Touche, so they stay off So there. they stay off. The biased left wing. Let me stop. <laughs> let me stop. Because I don't think all of his fans think that way. Um, I know Chris and I were racking our brains trying to figure out, like, why people like him. Um, I know there's a couple of songs that have gotten stuck into my head, but, like, for the most part, like, just for listening, and I, I listen so you don't have to, um, a lot of the songs are pandering. Like, mm. even more so than, like, normal songs. Um like, there's a song on there, there's one song, it's called My Hometown, which is the one that I love the production on, but the lyrics are just like, it's like, he, it talks about how much he loves the girl, but he can't stay with her if he loves her more than his hometown. And he's like, I love you more than, a, more than all these, he just names these things, and like, one line, he's like, more than a soul getting saved on Sunday morning, hallelujah bound. Like, <sighs> stop. And then in the video... At the end, it just zooms in on a steeple of a church. And there's American flags. I'm just like, come on. Like, if this isn't like, do y'all not realize? And they probably don't care. Like, yeah, man, yeah. They don't care. Like, yeah. What's weird, as I, as I look at this chart, there is a uh, an ad for a new movie with Clint Eastwood <laughs> called Cry Macho. Really? And I'm like, Clint, why you don't need to make any more movies. You don't need to direct them either. Uh, you still got something left to prove. What does he have to prove? He won his Oscar. He has nothing left to prove. He's got two Oscars, I think. Yeah, he was. Million Dollar Baby (laughs) and and Gran uh, Torino. uh, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. He didn't get one for Gran Torino? He he wasn't even nominated for that. Oh, for real? That was the... uh... (laughs) It's really funny because I haven't seen the whole movie, but I know it's about... Like, doesn't that movie... That movie's kind of aged a little too well yeah. with what's happened in the last four years. Like, it's aged a little too well. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe Clint, he saw the future. <laughs> he's like, you know, he, he ain't visionary. For, he's visionary for a reason, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like sitting there watching it, and then in the premiere, like, this will make a lot more sense in about five or six years. Trust me. With <laughs> 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 <And> the. Pew- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, but good for Clint, man. Good for you. Uh, all right. So that'll do it for our music news. Ben, tell us about your earworm of the week. Put this one on a <laughs> friend of the podcast, Brandon. Um, <clears throat> he posted. So one of my favorite episodes of the Justice League, I think it was Justice League Unlimited, was where um, for some reason some, some sorcerer turns Wonder Woman into a pig. And, like, the Justice League have to catch her. And I think it's Batman in general because they got, like, a thing going on in the cartoons where they're kind of like a couple sort of but not really. And um, in order to change her back, 
she makes Batman sing some jazz song at a club. And he sings it in, like, full costume. And it's called, like, Am I Blue or something like that. And they're like, how do you know it? I had to listen to it all the time. So he, there's a clip of a video that he posted of Batman singing that singing in this episode with this song over it. <laughs> and I'm just watching it like this it, it it's it it's too good. Um and it was a song I had not heard in so long. Tony Terry, I have no clue what this guy's doing right now. Um but it's called um It's You With You. With you, not it's you with you. Um I love the chord progression of this song. We need more songs with this sort of chord progression, but I think Tony Terry is. Uh, this will show you that. Um, I guess how. I don't. I don't understand this <clears throat> industry like this. This this kind of genre of uh, theater, mm-hmm. uh, and how Tyler Perry got out of it uh, to even make movies, but. The what people call the, the gospel, the, the gospel stage oh. plays. Like, why are y'all calling a stage play? It's on a stage. You don't have to say stage. But either way, um, of those plays that will they go on tour, they do all these theaters. <clears throat> there were a lot of these that came by the Bell Auditorium in Augusta. <laughs> and I would and one of the and a couple of the actors' names I saw a lot. One was Tony Terry, and one was Cheryl Pepsi Riley. You know what? Then they probably came to the Three Arts Theater in Columbus because they weren't classing up for the Springer. Um, <laughs> so they probably came to Three Arts Theater. My old Columbus folks know what I'm talking about. Another name that came up a lot, and I think he was in a, he was in a couple of Tyler Perry's productions. Um, I only know his name is like Little G <clears throat> from Silk. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I, I mean, I guess they had to have names, but the it was the the. The short dude in the group, okay. who he would sing lead a lot of the time. Okay, they only two of the guys sang lead, but he would. Yeah, he he was in a the one few, with a really high voice. Like, yeah, Lifting in my bedroom. Okay, no, 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 the not him, not the one who could, the one who was like kind of like the loud, like the 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 KC almost. What's his name again? Group. You said. I think his name was Lil G. I think his first name was Gary. Gary Lil something. G Silk. Gary Jenkins. Yeah. Okay, okay, I know who you're talking about. Okay. Oh, he was doing these things too? Yeah. And it was like I had never seen it before with um because they, they you know, because there it was a musical also, so they were singing and they would wear microphones, but instead of wearing one where, you know, it was kind of the, the headpiece mm-hmm. or the lapel. Yeah. They would wear it in their hair. The what, huh? And he's bald. So he wore a cap and the mic was under the brim of the cap. That's different. But you could like see it. It was it, it was weird. Because it cast a shadow. <laughs> I'm wondering like what is this what is this what is this thing on his head? But it's a microphone, but whatever. Okay, so back to Tony Terry. Yeah, Tony Terry. <laughs> so um this was also at a time where um think light-skinned guys were in around 1990, yeah, He kind of looks, he looks a and little... He, and he had red hair. And he, he has red hair. A little like um, a lighter version of um, Lionel Richie almost. 
I could not the same as Lionel Richie with red hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that whenever I look at, I've looked at newer pictures of him. Like he's aging like Lionel Richie, <laughs> without. But Lionel Richie still has a Jerry curl, so you know. <laughs> Won't let it go. Won't let it go. All right, so this is with you by Tony Terry. If it ever starts playing, there we go, and we'll be right back. Just like that. Tony Terry, uh, singer and actor, I guess you might say. <laughs> I'm trying to see where the uh, that was number six on the R&B charts and number fourteen on the Hot 100 in 1991. It's a good song. It's one of my favorites. It's <clears throat> it's I don't know. I just it's just something about. Um, well, for one, it just takes me back to that time. But then it's just something about songs written like that. This, you just don't get R&B songs like that anymore. I wish we did. I mean, the closest we got was, um, what, uh, Versace on the Floor by Bruno Mars. That's the closest we've gotten in the last, like, maybe five to ten years. Yeah, but 
Bruno Mars, like he's kind of the outlier as far as that kind of song now, mm-hmm. because um, no one's no one's doing ballads like that. No, and that makes me sad. There are no, there are hardly any R and B ballads out <clears throat> there. Yeah, we need to change that. And well, there actually have to be like people who can. Sing. You got to convince people <laughs> that people who can actually sing can be popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I can dream. <laughs> you can find that on our BTTYHT Earworms playlist on Spotify right now. Oh, I didn't bring us up on the screen. Okay. <clears throat> so... So uh, we started the this episode with the song I Really Like You by Carly Rae Jepsen. And we'll be discussing her album, which I guess you could call it an underrated pop, uh, <laughs> an, an underrated essential pop album. Yeah, I think that's, well, I'll say maybe underappreciated because, I mean, I think the critics gave it its due. Because uh, that's how I found it. Because everyone was just like, "This um, this album's amazing," but like it just didn't sell. Like people just yeah. it, you know. I don't know if that's because she's Canadian and didn't have a lot of presence outside of of Canada. I was about to say Canada outside of Canada. <laughs> I don't know, um, but I mean, I think it's one of those albums where it's just like it. Like it fits and it fits into the time that it came out, but it doesn't because some of the pop on there is very, it's kind of timeless. Like there's a couple of songs you could hear coming out 10 or 20 years ago. There's a song that sounds like, from the deluxe version at least, that sounds like a, a Kylie Minogue song. Like there's just, it's kind of all over the place, but it's just done so well. Like the writing is what gets me. The writing's done so well. So as you can <laughs> see there on the screen, we'll be discussing her album Emotion came out in 2015. Now, for those who are familiar with the name Carly Rae Jepsen, no, this does not have Call Me Maybe on it. No, okay? no. This is the one after. And there's a, I, I thought that might have been part of the reason that uh, Ben wanted to discuss this album <laughs> is because it's the one after Call Me Maybe and it's probably better than that yeah. album that had Call Me Maybe on it. Um, so when doing some research about the album, you know, uh, this was her. This was her third album. Um. So there was. I think yeah, she did an the, EP, and then she did this one. Um. Did EP? Did Kiss? Because I remember there was like a lot of time in between where she was. She did a single with like the guy from Owl City. I think she did another single, and then this one came out. Uh. Yeah. This was. This was the third album. The first one was Tug of War. Uh, after she came in third on the fifth season of Canadian Idol. Which I never knew that until I started looking at this album, that she was on Canadian Idol. So um, there was that. Uh, that that album had, was from 2009, and it had four singles on it, The Tug of War. Then she came out with Kiss, which had Call Me Maybe, and Curiosity. Mm-hmm. No, it's an EP called Curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then she had the song Good Time uh, with Al City. I remember that one. That was yeah. on his album. And it was on her uh, the album Kiss. And then um, 
yeah, the remix yeah. album, and then we have emotion. Yeah. So with this uh, particular album, uh, definitely heavy on the '80s inspiration. Yeah. And uh, Def, she was aiming for it to be a departure from, uh, uh, from Kiss or just from Call Me Maybe in general. Call Me Maybe was everywhere. Yeah, that was such an interesting record because, like, it just—I I don't know. Like, I'm—I don't know how to describe it, but it's one of those songs where it's like it's pop, but it just sounded different from the other things that were on the radio, and I don't know why or how, but it just—it just sounds so. I mean. Yeah, it just sounds so different to me. Like it was like one of those instantly identifiable songs that everyone knew and almost kind of became bigger than itself. 2000 years later. We are live again and that's why, well, when you hear the podcast, that's why I saved the uh <laughs> I found this clip on YouTube it had all the snippets of uh, on Spongebob when the guy says like a few hours later <laughs> a few moments later <laughs> there's a clip of like all the ones that were said <laughs> nice <laughs> so I have that one saved so that's what you just heard so thanks for that <laughs> okay so uh, I forget what we were talking about um me too I think we're talking about we're, no I remember now we were discussing her progression into this album okay from what was a tug of war to kiss she had the um the ep, the EP and, and the remix. remixes and then this one which it i mean it was only three years and i say only three years but like it felt like it was forever from hearing call me maybe everywhere and her figuring out what she wanted to do fix your camera real quick huh let me fix your camera real quick Go okay ahead. Um, hearing Call Me Maybe everywhere and then like kind of waiting for her because I think I, I, I feel like I kind of came in on her a little late and by the time I got into Call Me Maybe I think it was towards the end of its shelf life because I was just late to things um, like you know when like you know uh, an over the hill rock band is covering her song yeah Sunset <laughs> Sunset covered that song it was, a, it was a lot of fun Kevin used to really get into it um, I don't know if he actually liked it or if he had to do that to get through it. <laughs> I don't know which. I don't know, but, like, we covered it once. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I came towards the end of it, and then it was like it just felt like forever waiting for something new. Um, you know, she had the song with um, with Owl City, who I sometimes forget is just one person. Um, and then it seemed like nothing, and then I started hearing about, I think I heard about Emotional on Reddit, but didn't really look into it, you know, because I think by then I was kind of over the whole thing. Um, but <laughs> after, you know, and I have to give Popheads a shout out for this. They really pushed and talked about that album to the point of where I just was like, I gave in. And I think just one day I heard Run Away With Me and that like saxophone. I don't even know if it's a real saxophone or not, but like that opening sounded so big. And then you bring in that driving bass line. Um, I, I was I was hooked like that became like in 2015 2016 probably just 2016 because i think the album came out in 2015 um yeah it came out june of 2015 um and i knew i was late to the party but i just know like when i once i realized how good it was oh man like i listened to it constantly um just all the time because it, it was just it was so good i'm not gonna sit here and say like every single track is just a banger there's some tracks I do skip, but the ones that I love, I love. 
I listen to regularly. So we'll play the Runaway With Me, which starts the album. Which is a great opening track. Like it just sets a very nice, it sets a very nice tone. Like this synth saxophone, tons of reverb behind it. Like it just sounds big and then she comes in just. Uh, for me, this, um, this song took off on Vine. Oh, it did? Yeah. Oh man, okay. That's where I heard That's it. That's how old this song is. <laughs> uh, there's this video of this guy doing, it was this weird walk, leaping, bounding thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, and someone set the chorus to this song to him, and like and it, and it, it synced up to how he was walking. Oh, down for the real? Street. That's hilarious. I have to watch this video now. <laughs> and that was that was one of the more the most watched vines uh, ever. And really, yeah, I didn't even know at the time that it was this song. Like I, I didn't know it was Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. yeah uh, I just love that bass line. This, yeah, just man. The the background vocals on this, um, for some reason, it made me think of Charlie XCX. It had that. It does have that feel to it, and Charlie XCX had been. She had been kind of hot for a couple of years, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they were thinking that in the in the um, studio when they were doing it. I'll be surprised. And this one was uh, co-written by um, uh, Matt Man and Robin. Yeah, I thought that name was. I, I I was not familiar with them, but I thought that name was great. Uh, Shellback, the Academy Award nominee, Shellback, mm-hmm. and uh, John uh, Nunibau, another Swedish yeah. uh, songwriter. Um, so yeah, this is how the album begins, um, and it's. Uh, I guess it had some. I've never seen the video. I don't think like I've seen the video either. It was filmed in on three different continents. Then maybe I have seen it because that sounds familiar. <laughs> I don't really, I don't, yeah, I don't, I haven't seen a ton of music videos. I saw the one for I Really Like You, but I hadn't seen, I don't remember this one, but I, I might have seen it. Because um, I do usually look for like live performances and end up watching a music video. But yeah, this one was, yeah, this song was good. This is a good and I guess it makes sense to use that for the Vine because this was a running song for me because I was way more <laughs> into <laughs> working out back then. And um, I remember running to this song quite a bit because it's got a very nice running beat to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the one song, the only song I really heard from this album, well, I heard Runaway From Me, but just from, from that Vine. Uh, and the, the one song I knew of was I Really Like You, yeah. which we started the show with. And I just thought, like, okay, maybe the single did poorly because I never really heard anything from her again. <laughs> I uh, think that then, was the lead know. single, wasn't it? I really like you. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember that one kind of grew on me. Um, I think the I think the music video kind of helped it because it was um, what had Tom Hanks and Justin Bieber, and you don't really know why Tom Hanks is there. Like, it just seemed yeah. like an odd. Like it, it, it took me back to when Jamie Foxx had like what Ron Howard and Jake Gyllenhaal in his video for Blame It. It's just like these are weird people to bring on, <laughs> but just by bringing them there, it's it's a talking point. Like now you're like not only are they in the video, but they're acting like 
like bosses in a club. You know, Tom Hanks wasn't doing that necessarily, but it's just like by just by bringing him in there, people are going to talk about you. Like, oh yeah, Tom Hanks is in there, and like everyone loves Tom Hanks, so <laughs> it's just going to get talked about. And I thought it was pretty cool because he's like just being. I think he's just being Tom Hanks in the video. Yeah. He's not, you know, <laughs> he's not playing a love interest. He's just being himself, and yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, uh, so as I said, with this album, this is the one after the, the one. The album after Call Me Maybe, and uh, she um, she felt that the song overshadowed the rest of that album. I would say so. And the other songs did not have much success. Yeah. Or at least compared to that song. And she saw it as an opportunity to take a step back. And think about her next album. She met with her record label and management after the tour and said, I want you to put your faith in me that I'll come back when it's ready. Mm. And they did. And I'm very lucky to have a team that wasn't trying to mass produce things and was more really looking more at the quality of it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think that in doing that, maybe they were just like, we're still not sure what we've got here. Because yeah. everything about Call Me Maybe has One Hit Wonder written on it, like how big the song was. And you've got these other singles. I mean, even, you know, get her on a song with another hot commodity like Owl City. Um, but you still don't really know. Like, I, I, I can only imagine there's a, there were a lot of questions in the air about Carla Rae Jepsen. I mean, hell, you could even say that, you know, in certain in certain spheres... Call Me Maybe even overshadows this album. Like, it, the song became bigger than her career, almost. Yeah. Um, so it's... And then know, at the point you're looking at, you know, you know, then, you know, especially in the pop realm, you're going to consider someone's age. Yeah. When Call Me Maybe came out, she's 27. Yeah. And then with this album coming out, she's turning 30. Yeah. Uh, so the... And her mindset's going to be different in what she wants to do. But as far as being a pop artist. Time's running up. <laughs> you don't in get to mature eyes. like that. Yeah. You don't, you know, the, the first three albums sound exactly the same. Mm-hmm. We want, we want another Call Me Maybe. Yeah. Just like with Eminem. We want another My Name Is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's typically how it goes. Like, we need the big single. This is the, this is the type of sound you're known for. Um, I got face. Let me stop. But no, I got like you get, you know, certain producers. And I mean, and Josh Ramsey, you know, one of the writers of that song, um, maybe he didn't want to do another one. Maybe they went to him and said, hey, you got another call me maybe. And you and he was like, nope, I'm saving those. It's funny. He's probably like, I'm saving those for Mariana's Trench albums, because a lot of the music they were releasing around that time was synth pop. Like they went from making like heavy kind of pop punk influence music, modern rock. And then all of a sudden, they're making synth pop music, um, and they never look back. And I wonder if he was just like, if that gave him the confidence to take these songs that he would have given to other artists and been like, nah, bro, I'm keeping these. I'm not Bruce Springsteen in it anymore. Like, I'm keeping these. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that reference. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting as well. Like, you know, they probably did really try to recreate that. And that there comes the part of, well, give me a have faith in me that I'll come back when it's done. Well, I think the the whole time with her, she's resisting that. Yeah. She's like, even the the thought of another call me, maybe she's not interested in. 
Yeah. Um, so she got a detour. She she was performed in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella on Broadway, uh, performed with Fran Drescher. That's interesting. <laughs> and uh, she did a, um, she acted as her own A&R. And then she started emailing artists to see if they were interested in collaborating, including Tegan and Sarah, Rostam Badmanjali, or Badmanglij of Vampire Weekend, and Shellback. Yeah. And then she made an entire indie folk album during while she was doing Cinderella as an act of rebellion. And but she felt like the that she did that for the wrong reasons. <laughs> so it's, so it's she scrapped it. Funny that she reached out to Tegan and Sarah because. I hear a lot of, I'm trying to remember the name of their album, because it's an album that they're, they're, they're hardcore fans um, who can kind of be pretentious, don't like, if that's the one that you like. Um, it's the one with uh, Get Closer to You, or All I Want to Do is Get Closer. Um, I mentioned that to someone that I like that album, and they were like, oh, you would. Like, stop gatekeeping. Stop that. Like I found an album by them. Yes, it's the one by called Heartthrob. Yeah, Heartthrob. came out in 2013. I hear a lot of so it's it's interesting to know that she reached out to them because I do hear some of the some of the production style and themes from that record make it to this record in terms of just how it was made because that's a really that's a really good album. Not as good as this one, I think, but kind of like maybe this is a precursor. There's some inspiration there. Um, and I guess she was able to come around on the success of Call Me Maybe by saying that um, her work on, on doing Cinderella with Fran Drescher, it provided valuable perspective in terms of being defined by a single attribute. And she said, everyone still calls her the nanny. Mm. <laughs> Fred, they call Fran Drescher the nanny. Like, they don't call her Fran Drescher. They just call her the nanny. <laughs> what was her name on the show, even? Uh, what was her name on the show? I think it was Fran. Yeah, okay. it was Fran. That's funny. <laughs> um, so, um, Kiss, which had Call Me Maybe on it, was written in two months and, and put together in two months. So she wanted to take her time, it looks like. Uh, she wanted to have more creative control. Well, you know, when you're almost 30 and you're still and doing pop music, that's kind of the age where, well, probably before that, by the time the, the, the third album comes around, the pop artists want more creative control. Yeah. That is expected. Uh, she got the idea to use the, she sought to channel a heart on your sleeve sensibility reminiscent of 80s pop music after attending a Cyndi Lauper concert in Japan. So it's funny because I do feel that she's rounding into a Cindy Lauper style. Um, I don't want to say musician per se, but like personality wise, she's starting to get a way more flamboyant because she was very kind of cookie cutter on her, her first couple of releases. But then after emotion, you know, she's, if you, if you see her, like she's got, like she has wild hair sometimes she's dressed in these interesting outfits. Yeah. I think she took, she, she really took that style and ran with it. And uh, themes were further explored through old school Prince of Madonna. Um, and I heard I was 
in the album, I was listening for like what influences might have been there, I guess, for how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And for me, Madonna and George Michael yeah. and Prince mm-hmm. uh, came up. I hear some Image and Heap as well, um, especially on Favorite Color. On something like Emotion, sounds like uh, it could have been a Madonna track from the 80s, definitely. Um, and right, then, this is Emotion. Oh yeah, this is this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, this this sounds like a Madonna song. This could have this yeah this is so Madonna inspired. Like it, you could have told. As a matter of fact, I could have heard it from. Oh, I'm trying to think of the album. Is it Blonde? Not Blonde Ambition. That's a tour. The one with um, uh, Lucky Star. I think that was True Blue, maybe. I could be wrong. No, it's on Madonna. That's on this. That's on her self-titled. That produced by Nile Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> what was on True Blue then? I thought that was from. I think they had Papa Don't Preach. Papa Don't Preach. Okay, Open Your Heart. Okay. A little. I hear a little bit of Open Your Heart as well. But I hear a lot of that initial album, more synth-heavy, um, which is hard to say because self-titled have a lot of synth, but. This has a little bit more. <laughs> um, so we have here. So yeah, this is definitely my favorite song from the. I think it's the. I think it's the best song from the album. Um, it's just something about like it's just got like this really nice rhythm to it. The arrangement is great. The the way in which the piano kind of comes in syncopated. It's just it's just really good. Well done, I think. Uh, what she also. Um, uh, she did later on the production. Uh, worked with one to work with Dev Hines, who y'all may know from Blood Orange or Light Speed Champion. Uh, a very uh, versatile singer, songwriter, producer. Blood Orange and Light Speed Champion are mm-hmm. two totally different kinds of projects. I don't think I'm that he's with that Dev he's Hines. done. Uh, and he produced um, the song "Losing You" by Solange, which is the first song I heard by Solange. Okay. Um, and she wanted to work with him, and he ended up. He made a demo in which turned into the song "All That," which is track really? five. Okay, so that that one has elements of like '90s R&B. Yeah, with this one, I a little yeah. '90s R&B. I thought this is the one that sounded like a George Michael yeah. ballad. Yeah, which he did a lot of. <laughs> yeah, you could say he was kind of a, a '80s '90s R&B singer. Um, like I think I don't know. If, I can't remember if this had saxophone on it, but it a little bit of careless whisper kind of feel. Mm-hmm. I believe this is probably my second favorite song um, on the album. Uh, if if, if, if you're a fan of this song, there's a really, really good live performance of it with a, like with a band, not just like her singing to a recording. Um, there's some pretty good you know, live performances of these songs, but yeah, this one um, is really, really good. Um, I didn't know, so Dev- Devontae, H- Dev Hines. Okay, no, this is a, I'm gonna look more into him then, because I've always wondered who wrote this song. I never looked into it, but yeah. Is check out Blood Orange and Lightspeed Champion. I know it uh, under as Lightspeed Champion. 
at the the library I used to go to to get CDs. Uh, his album was in there, and I don't know if it was that album or a different Lightspeed Champion album. But he does a cover of. You remember the musical Xanadu? I've heard of it. Yeah. Xanadu. He yeah. does a cover of Xanadu. Devines? Yeah. That's such an odd song to cover. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a lot of interesting choices uh, with those projects. Okay. Um, so she, uh, like I said, she worked with a guy from uh, Vampire Weekend. And... I've never really been big on them. I only know like a, a song or two. People love them, though. They're like that band that everyone loves, but... It's like knowing that you know loves them. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Peter Svensson of the Cardigans, uh, who had the song Love Fool back in the 90s. Yep. Uh, co-wrote I Really Like You. Um, Those sweets, man. And then she also has the song Boy Problems, co-written by yeah, Sia. Sia and Greg Kirsten. And it's funny that because I feel like Sia has a style and maybe it's just for her own stuff. But I've, I've heard it on other people's songs, but it does not sound like a Sia song. Yeah, like you. Yeah. I when hearing it. I saw I read it later that she was a co-writer and yeah. like that doesn't hmm. compute, <laughs> does not compute. Because other songs you can tell. Yeah. Like she's got that heavy. You know, other than maybe, like, some of her early, early stuff, but definitely when she started getting into pop, it has that heavy backbeat, a little bit of, like, kind of like an island rhythm sometimes. Like, you can just tell it's her huge vocals and, like, you know, like, this just, like, Boy Problems is, like, really, and I like the song, but it's just, like, really, really, really poppy. And I was just like, there's no way Sia had anything to do with this song, but she did. And yeah, I don't. Greg Curse, I'm not. I'm not extremely familiar with. But he's um, he's won producer of the year non-classical twice. Like I, the name sounds familiar. Uh, he's worked with. Um, he co-wrote "Stronger" for Kelly Clarkson. He co-wrote "Chandelier" with Sia. Uh, he wrote co-wrote "Hello." For Adele. Okay, so maybe I have heard of him. He has eight Grammys. I need to know who he is. Yeah, uh, 25 is... Um, 25 wow. and Colors for with Beck. I need to study him. Wow. And... Oh, he's in The Bird and the Bee. Oh, is that his group? Yeah! They're good. Bird okay. and the Bee is dope. Okay. Well, yeah. So, he is the B apparently, <laughs> and Anara is the Anara George is the um, the bird. It's a great band. If you if you're not familiar with the bird and the B, check, yeah, them, check out. them out. They've got a lot of their songs are really fun. <laughs> uh, and they have a an, um, an a album of covers. Yeah. For uh, they have a uh, Hall and Oates covers album. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he worked on um, this song. Which song was it again? Uh, boy problems. Yeah. And okay, maybe you could explain this to me because I, I I just heard the the phrase top line. Okay. From you. So what is the outside cut? The outside cut? I'm not familiar with that term. Let's see, because I know I and I apologize to 
um, Nicole from my the band I was in with her before. I'm not gonna say their name, but she knows who she is. I when I was trying to say like top line singers, I totally gave her the wrong definition of it because I was thinking top line singers were the singers that song or reference singers. I just mix up the terms. Whereas a top line singer is the person who comes up with the melody, but I'm not familiar with an outside cut. Um, or, or maybe they're just saying that was a. Uh, either way, Sia was a, also a co-writer on the song "Making the Most of the Night" mm-hmm. uh, with um, the uh, is it Heim or Haim? Heim. Heim. Mm-hmm. They're listed as co-writers for that song. Um. Uh, so she also contributed on that one. Yeah, Haim is that's another that's a group that should be bigger than they are, but I mean they're doing fine, but yeah. Um I've heard a couple of their songs, but I just remember them from uh Thundercats video for Dragon Ball Do Rag. Oh, that was them in that? Yeah. They were the three girls? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they're like people compare them to um Fleetwood Mac. I don't hear it. Because they're really way electronic. Their their music's yeah. more electronic than anything, but it's just really, really good. It's really, really well done. Yeah. Um. So after, so in the also in the development of it, um. There's another thing I saw. Um, Max Martin, who worked with her on Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um. Surprisingly absent from this album. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's funny because he's attached to, of the last, I guess at this point, we can say the last 30 years. Yeah. Because we're in 2021 and his work spans back to the mid 90s. He's been a part of the biggest, you know, projects in pop music. You think maybe it would have been bigger had he been attached to it? Mm, I don't know. Because there aren't, I mean, there are some misses mm-hmm. with Max Martin. There, uh, if you look at his entire production discography. Yeah, he's not perfect. He's got a higher hit rate than anyone else, but he's not perfect. <laughs> um. Because I think he, I think up until he met uh, the artist formerly known as Dr. Luke, I think he was kind of, and I and I think that's what he's done. He was kind of on a downward spiral, um, with some songs that just weren't doing as well. Hooks up with Dr. Luke, and next thing you know, we get since you've been gone. It was like Dr. Luke breathed new life into him. Probably for I would say maybe for four years there were a couple of things here and there. Yeah. Um. But then he does baby one more time and then I want it that way. Mm -hmm. So it kind of took off there. But then in the 2000s, there were some things that meant like these some artists I've never heard of. Yeah, Prime STH was one of them, a a rock band from Sweden or from Stockholm. Like he just wasn't it wasn't until he was his name. Tyson tracks. Now that's his name. Yeah, that's until he hooked up with him. Lucas Lucas. And since you've been gone, came out and was just like. That became the female rock pop sound for like the next like every song started out with a damn drum machine and a, and a guitar riff, usually a clean one, 
loud, soft, loud, like soft, loud. Since you be gone. Yeah, soft, loud, yeah, soft, loud. Yeah, then that 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 becomes pink sound. Yeah. Then that's uh, Katy Perry sound, kind of. You can argue Ashley Simpson bit that style for uh, a bit. Avril Lavigne. Yeah. Um. Vanessa Hudgens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, yeah insert. Yeah. Female singer here. It became for the next at least five to six years until everything just kind of started becoming purely electronic. But like that was like, you think about that, like it sounded weird at first not to go too off topic here, but like hearing like such pretty clean voices singing rock music, I was like, this is too clean. But then they just, the production just, it just became normal. So, yeah. But that was not Carly Rae Jepsen, her album, not a ton of rock influences. (laughs) It was pure pop and I love it to death. Um, I guess we talked about a couple of the influence that's that a couple of the influences. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the? Um, I don't know if this started the trend. Maybe it just got people thinking that, okay, on this album, it's going to be inspired by this particular decade. Mm-hmm. Not to say that people do it all the time, but you know, it also brings up. Uh, didn't. 24 Karat Magic came out later that year. I don't know. Oh, it came out the next year. Where he basically did his best impression of a... um... (laughs) Well, hold on. Let me see. Oh, no. I don't know why this showed up. That is not the right song. I was like, something by Stevie Nicks came up. But, yeah. 24K Magic. So, yeah, it comes out the very next year. Maybe. Um, it's a good question. I don't know. Because you, you think about... We're going back to... What I, what I mean by that, why, why I bring that up is going back to a different decade and try and updating it's, yeah, it a little like some bit. nostalgia. Because I'm trying to think... Cause but the sim- only ones that come to mind are, are 24 Curry Magic. And um, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Sam Sparrow, mm-hmm. uh, Eternal Boombox... Well, or Boombox me, Eternal. Because there were a lot of albums. So I, I do think in the 2010s and maybe like to the mid to the later 2010s, you were hearing a lot of albums that were just going back to the 80s and the early 90s. Not so much the mid to late 90s like Bruno Mars did where he kind of basically just made a New Jack Swing album. But like you heard a lot like synth pop was no longer indie because for the longest time people like Tegan and Sarah and Empire of the Sun um, and groups like that were very, they weren't mainstream. And then next thing you know, like Empire of the Sun's getting played in car commercials yeah. <laughs> and Tegan and, and Sarah and movies. Yeah. I think they scored the sec, the dumb and dumber sequel. Um, you had all these, like, you know, it was no longer. I know walking the dreams play at the end of uh, you remember the movie hall pass. Yeah. Mm hmm. It was shot in Atlanta. Because um, this, and as a matter of fact, this coincides with uh, um, a playlist that I had called Alternatively Pop Rock, where it was all these types of artists. So, like, you think of, like, Neon Trees. Mm-hmm. Neon Trees came out. They kind of had that sound as well. Um, Matt and Kim? Matt and Kim, yeah. Uh, Passion, Passion Passion Pit, Pit yeah. A yeah. little bit heavier on the, um, on the synth. But, yeah, they had that sound. Phoenix to a certain degree, although I think Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix came out a little bit sooner. Yeah, but, I think that, yeah, I think that was before. But that was one of those albums that kind of 
started that you know started that trend and they just kept it up so finally hear my playlist electric well electric field came up before but midnight city is one of those songs i think of where like oh yeah m83 yeah m83 huge 80s influence there um i think it well saint lucia wasn't very huge as, as a band i used to really like called saint lucia oh um uh churches davinsky yep um with they had well, that the, the song. whole drive soundtrack yeah the basically. whole drive soundtrack was, was <laughs> 80s inspired um, so like yeah, churches by um, recover by churches or just churches in general. Um, Heim sort of has that sound. Um, so yeah, you started really seeing that it it, it came out of oh God, foster the people, mm. <laughs> the XX. As I get down, as I just keep getting deeper down here, um, hell even Lincoln Park made a synth album. But like it came out of it started coming out of being just for indie artists and being underground to where it's like oh yeah we're gonna make um albums like this now in the pop sphere um and i think that was when pop music was kind of in that weird that weird a limbo where they're like we want to embrace edm but we're not sure how or which edm are we going to embrace strictly like yeah, what you had in Euro- the- europe are we gonna because i mean like yeah. timbaland had been successful basically taking Europe's sound and bringing it over here. And David Guetta just... David Guetta blew up. Took over. And, like, we had that, like, you know, I think we've kind of settled now um, on... We kind of took a lot of the indie pop sounds of it. So, like, Lord and Lana Del Rey and eventually Billie Eilish kind of won out yeah. to where pop music became way more indie and way more kind of morose. Um, I'm curious to hear what with this deal with Dua Lipa's album being so successful now you're starting to hear a lot more artists and I was it's funny because I was I went and get Korean barbecue this weekend and they were playing k-pop on on the tv like like all the videos heard a lot of disco songs well the the, <laughs> the disco sound is is coming back but it I think when people hear it they don't realize that like mm-hmm. the, they have a lot of disco elements yeah you can look at um Calvin Harris's, uh, I invented disco. <laughs> well, no, 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 not even, not even that. Um, it's the one that had the song with, uh, Katy Perry and Pharrell funk oh, wave bounces. Yeah. Funk that wave is, that is disco, but just slowed down mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. Um, uh, SG Lewis's stuff yeah. is, is disco. Um, Mark Ronson did a little bit of that yeah. too, and I think what she kind of did on this album is there's a the influences are all over the place. It's pop, but in a way, it's kind of like the album Schizophrenic, where like it's pop, but there's a bunch of different types of pop. But they're done, the production is done so well that it molds together. So like if you think of like it was on the deluxe edition, but I didn't just come here to dance is a disco song, like it's a disco house song. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I I like that one. Yeah, it could have come straight that is house. out of yeah, straight out of Chicago, straight out of Europe, like out of the <laughs> like it is a disco dance song. Like it's even got the like the <laughs> the sweeping strings and yeah. This is this is New York house. Yeah. Why did I say Chicago? New York. I mean, it could be yeah. Like you could argue that it's like a mix of maybe Vogue 
yeah. and, and something else. Because, I mean, it's got more strings than Vogue, but, like, it's got those sweeping strings. It's well, got the, the, the hi-hats hi make it Chicago. That's that's Chicago. Okay. The, the synth part, the bass synth is New York. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, and I love this. This is one of my favorite tracks on the song on this album as well. Like that piano. That's how you know, man. Uh, and that's it. that's a little bit Detroit <laughs> right there too. So is is house all around? Somebody with the house. School. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but then also like they kind of throw in. That synth line there is kind of '90s, '90s yeah. pop synth. Yeah, like this is like just this a could have been song. something a, a song that Kathy Dennis did. Oh yeah, I could totally hear. Her. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you just have all these different types of styles just that are put together on an album, but it works. Like this song doesn't sound like a lot of the other songs in the album, but it just works. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, but yeah, 2015, like those years in there were like, pop was really, like, there were so many different, and I bet if we go back and look at the charts, like, you'd probably see like three or four different types of songs, pop songs, not even talking about like rap music, just like different pop songs with their different styles. Us just trying to figure out what's going to work. Is it going to be the DJ singer combination? Is it going to be the, the pop produced singer combination? I'm pretty sure. This was during Katy Perry's heyday where she's putting out a whole lot. She's putting out album after album. I want to think maybe, um, uh, God, the song, the um, Tsunami probably came out around this time, which has a lot of um, EDM influences as well as trap influences. Like just pop music was just really trying to figure out what it wanted to do. Uh, with Katy Perry at yeah. this time, uh, we're between Prism and Witness. Prism, not yeah, Tsunami's on Witness, but yeah, okay. So yeah, Prism with that had um, Roar on it, right? Yeah. Which was kind of like a bouncy pop song, but then if you listen to to um, to Prism, not Prism. Would you say Prism and um, Witness? And Witness, Witness, I think was a very misunderstood album because there's a lot of there's some trap influences on there, but then there's some like it, synth pop. It, it had too much trap. Yeah, like Bon Appetit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like yeah, I think swish, of like swish. Tsunami was a great song. I think of um, not like the movies, which is kind of like a, a ballad type song. I'm trying to think what other song. There were a lot of songs on there I liked that were on uh, Witness had Swish Swish, Chain to the Rhythm, Chain to the Rhythm, Bon Appetit. Yeah, she not was... like the movies. I think was on Prism. Okay, there was another song on there. Because I think uh, I, I'm thinking of the title track, Witness, was really that I liked. Yeah, so Witness and Tsunami, um, which I don't think Tsunami was on that album. Tsunami might have been on another album. So not, Tsunami was on Witness. Yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It uh, produced by Mike Will Made It. But I think, if anything, like if you, oh, wow, Mike Will Made It did that one? That does yeah. not sound like a song he would do. Huh. But I think an album like this, and to a degree, an album like. The one that we're talking about today kind of shows where like pop music is just trying to figure itself out because traditionally pop music is typically you have two types of pop music. I think you've got whatever is popular or you've got like your traditional type pop music, which we're hearing more of now where you go back and you pull from the pop of the past, even though it doesn't sound like 
it, you know, because pop typically will incorporate elements of whatever's popular at the time, hence why it's called pop. You will go back and like, well, you know, this was popular in the 80s. Let's make a song like that. And then you have this weird thing where it's just like you'll get so much of that that all of a sudden 80s style pop is in vogue again. And you're using more songs are using that style of pop music and it becomes pop all over again. <laughs> like it's just this weird self-actualization. Um, and I think an album like this kind of helped usher that in. And I do think it's, that's a great call out that the very next year. Now, I don't know how much he was inspired by this. But like it's, I think it's interesting. The very next year, that Twenty Four Karat Magic comes out, and it's another, it's a send off. But I think Twenty Four Karat Magic was more of a targeted send off, a send up, excuse me, where like he was like instead of being all over the place, this is a new Jack Swing album. Yeah. This is something Bobby Brown could have made. This is something Teddy Riley could have made. Like it, like you could argue some of those tracks are like lost Bobby Brown tracks. Yeah. Like, could you could you hear Bobby Brown singing? Um, not could you hear? I could hear him singing finesse. I could absolutely oh, yeah. hear Bobby Brown singing finesse, or and he would rap finesse, on it. Finesse sounds like one of those songs like Teddy Riley wrote it, mm-hmm. and then Aaron Hall, Bobby Brown, and Keith Sweat <laughs> had to fight over it. Yeah, <laughs> and Bobby Brown's like, "I'll rap my own part," and he beat them out because they can't rap like him. <laughs> Bobby Brown did his own features <laughs> because you know if they made if they know if they made on our own nowadays he's not rapping the too hot to handle too, they're oh, gonna no. get somebody somebody's coming in no they will have a ghostwriter it'll be a ghostwriter well, I'm just well, saying, well they, I don't think he's even rapping that they had part. a ghostwriter already someone's gonna I think someone's gonna come in and rap it I think it's like Bobby Brown featuring someone else but like Bobby's like no I got this man I can rap this. <laughs> I mean, he did before. Yeah. So that's why that's why he would insist. <laughs> faith, faith in his skills. Um, but that is a yeah. I never thought about that. How that was probably just. It, I mean, like we just heard those types of albums, back then, around this time because pop. And I mean, you could say to a degree, pop still trying to figure out what it is. But I think we've, I think we've clearly settled in. You know, I don't know how long the Billie Eilish phase lasts. Especially now that I'm starting to hear more disco, which I love, um, just basslines galore. Um, I'd be curious to see where it goes because I mean, Future Nostalgia just ripped through everything, like it was just yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. I think, I think right now, what what is popular in pop right now is the um, that disco sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, using trap elements, yeah, like Ariana Grande, yeah. I so do. that I, I think it's just those two. Like all pop music, sounds like one of those two things right now. <laughs> I do think this album has aged well, and I mean, I know you know you're saying a six year old album, but I do think some of these songs could still be released now. Like I think "Run Away with Me" still sounds electronic enough to where like you could release it tomorrow and people would think that it was new um i think i i think a song like all that is timeless to where like it's because it is a send-up of that classic r&b and i read somewhere they say that they also felt like there's a little bit of prince inspire um as well but like like that's one of those songs where like you can just release that anytime but i think in terms of fresh like run away with me could sound like that 
I didn't just come here to dance. Would probably do really well now with this with disco. I think maybe instead of like that bass line being electronic, they might actually do a real bass maybe to give it that sound because that's Dua Lipa's album is just full of real bass. Um, I hope to God, Matt. I know Matt insisted like it was probably a computer that played it. I hope to God not. Some of those bass, <laughs> some of those bass lines were killer. Like especially the bass line in um, um, you don't want us. Don't stop now. Jesus, it's a good bass line. I hope a computer didn't play that bass line. Um, yeah, I yeah, I hope that, not either. That, that, that would be sad. disappointing. Yeah, that would be so <laughs> disappointing. But we know someone played a bass line on. I didn't just come in to dance. <laughs> like we know that was, or at least a keyboard. It ain't a real bass. Now a lot of the albums we've talked about, y'all have won awards they sold really well mm-hmm. not this one yeah that's and that's really sad uh it went gold in japan but what is gold in japan a hundred thousand hundred thousand units uh it sold it's been certified as selling thirty six thousand here in america yeah uh this could be considered a commercial flop but a critical darling yeah um, Pop Justice, Cosmopolitan had it n- ranked number one in their top albums of 2015. Entertainment Weekly and People had it number two in their top albums of 2015. Stereo Gum, Vice, and Village Voice had it number three. Time had it number four. Spin had it number four. Pop Matters had it number five. Rolling Stone had it number seven in their top 20 pop albums of 2015. Newsweek had it number nine. So, yeah, everyone. it I, And that's what's weird about it. Like, I think because pop has become and this is no make no bones about it, this is a pure pop album. Yes. I think people consider pop a bad word. So when you bring you bring an album like this up and especially like it's the girl that may call me maybe. Like, do you take her her follow-up seriously? You should, because <laughs> it's really good. But a lot of people, I, I think that's what kind of hurt her. You you make one of the, the best pop albums of the last decade, and nobody's heard it. Even someone that, like me who likes it as much as I do, I came to it late. I think I posted about it in 2016. I was almost a year late to this album when I first decided to just finally get into it. So... I don't think that I think that hurt her that that song, you know, the song that made her kind of hurt her. And that's. You know, I feel like some sometimes perhaps sometimes that people want to make someone a one hit wonder. I think I definitely think so. And they felt like that's what she was supposed to be. She might do a feature on another song. Mm -hmm. There's another one that's a, a moderate hit. Yeah. Um. But we're we're over that now. Yeah. And and it's not like, oh, I wonder what she's going to do next. It's why are you doing something? Yeah. We like would make another call me maybe. Yeah. And then you and but then even if she made another call me, maybe then you'd just be mad that she made another another call. Yeah. (laughs) Like then you call her a one trick pony. (laughs) See, but you can't win. Can't win for losing. Yeah, even Pitchfork, best 200 albums of the of the 2010s, have her ranked at 47. Pitchfork, people. 
So there's a lot of a critical respect yeah. for this album. And what's funny is, and to, to kind of speak to a conversation that Kendra had with somebody, where, you know, she was, you know, like, you know, because she likes a few of the tracks from it too, and she was like, yeah, um, it was considered one of the best albums of that year. And some guy was like, no, it wasn't. He never listened to it. He didn't know anything about it, but he just knew it was the girl who did Call Me Maybe. So in his mind... He's, you know, he's already made up in his mind what no kind of way. album it is. No, 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 it's just pop. It, no, it can't be. Dude, sit down and listen to the record. Just sit down and listen to it, and you might be surprised, you know? But you, you do have to come at it with an open mind. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of be like, well, it's, you know, it's probably full of a bunch of songs like Call Me Maybe. Not even close. It's kind of like... Um, and I've said this. I think I've, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast. I prefer Solange's music to Beyonce's. Yes. Yes. But Beyonce gets all the accolades. Because Beyonce's music is critically acclaimed. Not Excuse me. Is accessible. Excuse me. It is not critically acclaimed. Well, until she made Lemonade. And I still don't get that. But it's, um, it's accessible. She built up this fan base. Don't at me. That will that just loves loves her. Let me, let me rephrase it. Matthew Knowles built up this fan base, <laughs> a rabid fan base that loves her. She kicks them to the curb, but they'll they'll eat up whatever she makes. So it looks as if she's being genius because now she's finally making music that's personal to her. Yeah, making music that Sway Lee wrote. Like it's like she's still not making music. Formation sounded unfinished. Like the whole album is just, I don't know. Like that, that just bugged me. I, it's funny you bring that up because I had this conversation the other day. Um, I, I feel the only reason that, um, that Adele basically gave props to Beyonce so that the beehive wouldn't come for her like they came for Beck. Terrible. Don't, I'm like, you made Chasing Pavements at 19. What has Beyonce ever taught you? <laughs> And you were nom- you were nominated for a Song of the Year Grammy because you actually wrote on. We all know Adele writes. She wrote a Grammy nominated song at was nineteen, probably earlier, because it was named nineteen. So when it came out, so she probably wrote it at eighteen, or maybe sooner. So, but I'm not. I'm gonna get off that horse. But I feel you. I I like Solange's music way more, way more depth, way more art, all all that stuff. So yeah. Don't don't at me, Beehive. <laughs> um so like I said this is um yeah tons of respect from tons of respect know. from from the the music writers and the critics but as far as the fans so there is it's kind of like a cult classic and I think yeah. one thing that hurts it is the fact that is the streaming age and people don't buy as many records anymore um, but I mean, like I found it because of Reddit, because Reddit talked about it to death, you know, and Reddit will do that with an album that it really, really likes. They'll talk about it a lot. And, um, this was one that I just kept seeing come up and to a degree, especially back then, um, I, I had a lot of respect for the pop subreddit pop, pop heads. Cause you know, there's hip hop heads. There's a general music one, which no one likes the music one is just, just crap. Um, but like I respect hip hop heads opinions and I respect pop heads opinions um, because they've never really steered me wrong. Um, and I just remember them talking about this album all the time. And I was like, OK, maybe I should just 
it's free. Like I've said before, like you've already paid for the streaming service. <laughs> what does it hurt? <laughs> All it costs you is your time. So it might I, mess with your algorithms. Yeah, which is what I'm afraid of with my uh, YouTube, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, so I checked it out and it turned out to be good. So I was like, send me more stuff that sounds like emotion. <laughs> I'll take it. So I'm pretty sure this was in my top tracks of that year. I listened to that and run away with me and a few others that much especially all that favorite color which i you know reminds me of um hide and seek by image and heap mm-hmm. um but yeah just a lot of like she had all of her influences kind of showed here the producer's influences as well and i and i, and I think it just kind of melded together to make a, a, a pop album that had a lot of different influences but melded together very well it's a good listen so, um, uh, it was also shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize, which is given to the best full-length Canadian album based on artistic merit, regardless of genre, mm. sales, or record label. Oh, so it's based on artistic merit only. That's good. Uh, and there was an award for a $30,000 cash prize. You don't see that too much anymore but um, <laughs> she did not win she lost to 99.9 percent by k Trinata. that's not fair that's <laughs> also a good album but yeah different but that's the thing like i like it when you can place you can you can look at a album based on what it's trying to accomplish i think all music does that very well which is why you know i i i, I trust their reviews like I, I when I was they looking gave for it five stars. Yeah. I was looking for someone who was whose views aligned with what I think. And they judge an album based on what it's trying to do, not what they want it to do. You know, and some people might five stars, but that's reserved for albums like OK Computer. Well, OK Computer was trying to be a concept album by an indie rock band from the UK. Emotion and was it trying achieved to achieve that. And it achieved that and in, in spades. <laughs> Whereas this is trying to be a pop album with a bunch of different pop influences, which it achieved very well. And I like that, you know, and I think that when I first realized that was reading their review of Millennium by the Backstreet Boys, they nowhere where they're like, yeah, this sounds nothing like Tangled Up in Blue, because it's not trying to be that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the reason I thought that at the time was just because everyone was just all on Bob Dylan, just about everything. And I'm just like, but Millennium's not trying to be Tangled Up in Blue. It's not trying to be songs from the big chairs like you know none of these iconic albums it's trying best, to be if it's trying to be something it's probably trying to be hanging tough hang, you read my <laughs> mind it's trying to be hanging tough and it was probably better hanging tough but i'm just like they reviewed it based on what it was trying to accomplish not what they wanted to accomplish which is where i that's the problem i have with a lot of you know sometimes you know new music express sometimes pitchfork they're like you know this these songs aren't deep. Well, duh. Duh, they're not deep. They paid someone to come in and write them <laughs> and then paid them to get in the studio and sing People it. say that. Nothing deep about You this. already hate pop music yeah. if you're going to say stuff like that. Like, it's not supposed to be deep. There is no feeling or emotion. Like, there might be feeling and emotion in the singing, but if you're looking past the surface on the songwriting, buddy, I got a, I got a hard truth for you. Like, I got a hard truth. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you get lucky and you get Never Gone by Backstreet Boys where they brought in the, the dude from Five for Fighting to write a song. 
and even that kind of felt fake deep because I'm like I could hear this on a Five for Fighting album, but hell, it shouldn't. It wouldn't be a single. Like it'd just be a deep cut, and it, it might not make the album. <laughs> <laughs> and that probably was what it was. It's like I got this song. It's not gonna make my album. Nick, you want it? Like, <laughs> and that's how some of those happen. Yeah, like songs that aren't making the album, like uh, the song. Uh, you heard the song "What Do You Want from Me" by Adam Lambert. Yep, co-written by Pink. Pink Throwaway. Yeah, the demo's out there. Yeah, the demo's out there, which is a, an even more impressive with the fact that Adam was just able to match her. Like they didn't change the key at all for the people who are like Adam Lambert's not a good singer. I I still maintain he's the best singer they've ever had. Or uh, I think it was one of my earworms <laughs> before. Um, uh, Millionaire by Kalis mm. was written by Andre Three Thousand. It was supposed to be on the Love Below, really? but he scratched it and gave really? it to her. That's a genius. <laughs> That's a genius. Uh. So, uh, yes, definitely recommend giving this album a listen uh, yeah. if you're a fan of pop music. Uh, it, it did change the trajectory of her career because it was commercial flop, but it's a critical darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a cult classic, uh, if you will. I will also suggest checking out the Emotion B-Sides. Yes. Or Side B, excuse me. Um, there's some really good... Rose Garden's probably my favorite track from that. Um uh, roses, excuse me, because it's about rose gardens. But yeah, that's a really, really good track. Uh, would definitely suggest checking out that album as well, because she kind of rode emotion for for a couple of years. Didn't release another album until 2019. Um, it's good, but it's not emotion, and it kind of sucks because it's just like it's not fair. <laughs> like that's an all timer, and it's like you're trying to you're trying to do another all-timer it's good but it's it's just it's not emotion i mean these were songs that didn't make the cut what from dedicated oh 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 you're talking about the the next album yeah the next album dedicated yeah no i i thought i yeah they were there were songs that didn't make the cut but they were still very good songs but and then i think they try to go bigger with the producers you got jack antonoff on one of these what on um, dedicated uh, on dedicated yeah you got um which is a guy that's going to be, um, or is big now, but just like he's, I mean, could he possibly go down as one of the greatest pop producers of the next 15 to 20 years? I mean. Is he going to surpass Max Martin? I, I wonder. I mean, like. And he, Benny Blanco? He works what he's, because he works almost exclusively, well, not exclusively, but like Taylor Swift works exclusively, it seems like, with him for the longest. They, they're getting that Janet Jackson, Jimmy Jam, and Terry Lewis type relationship. Yeah. Um, and he works with a lot of different people. I didn't know he was on Norman fucking Rockwell. I didn't know he was on that album. Um, hmm, he's someone I'm gonna have to study a little bit more. It's it's funny because he came from Fun, and just yeah. like <laughs> I think he was like the drummer. No, he's a guitar player. Oh, it was a, okay. But it was like guitar. they, okay. I always thought he that, does play drums, but I thought yeah, he was that band. I always felt that Fun did some very interesting kind of original type songs, and I think that kind of happened because. They had pop sensibility, but like the original bands they came from were not at all. So like they just they came they just kind of came like you think of like some nights, like you got like Afro beats in there and it's just like like that's yeah, a very right. unlikely hit song. <laughs> so we should we should discuss that album. Yeah. Like that's a very like that song, just that single itself. 
the first time I heard this, I was like, what is this? Like, why is it like <laughs> the, it's got like these this should not be. These are not tribal this is drums. Not pop. This is not yeah, pop, tri- but it is. Yeah, like the the mix of things. Like it was, it shouldn't have worked, but it did. And then just like the really weird part where he just throws like heavy auto tune on his voice for no reason. It was just weird. Like we are young is the one of the most unlikeliest number one hits yeah. I have ever heard. And I think, <laughs> and I wonder if it was supposed to be, because the type of people that I knew that were listening to that song were not mainstream, and then it blew up. And I think a lot of them stopped listening to it because mm. that's what they do. That, that's what hipsters <laughs> do. That's what they do because <laughs> that used to be played on, like, the alternative stations. And then it blew up, and it's just like, no, nah, we don't play it no more. Now this is pop. You can't play it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, any, any last thoughts about, the, about emotion? Listen to the album, people. Yes. Listen to it. Listen to it. Listen to it. You will. It is good. There is something for everyone on this album. And that's all I have to say. There were uh, there's probably more um, of it. There were apparently 250 songs written. Good Lord. For emotion. Good Lord. Uh, yeah. So. There's probably some stuff that was reworked in the dedicated. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like that's what they should try to do. Or, you know, if they you'll know what's as far as writing, what's trash and what isn't like mm-hmm. how many songs are on Warm Georgia Nights? Nine. Yeah. How many songs did you write for it? Well, keep in mind, I was, work, I was working full time, but probably between 20 to 25, maybe approaching 30. Yeah, because there's a, a lot of those songs were given to other people. Are songs <laughs> that I'm trying to license, but yeah, probably, yeah, probably because I know I I scrapped like probably eight like but like I like I said I I completely started over so like only two of those songs made the cut so <laughs> yeah there were a lot of songs that were written that's just like oh you're going you're out you're good you know yeah so yeah somewhere between twenty five to thirty yeah so. um you know, but that was that was two hundred and fifty over a three year period. Oh yeah, this was over like maybe eight to eight to eight to twelve months. Yeah. All right. Well, that would do it for our discussion on Carly Rae Jepsen's mm-hmm. emotion. Uh, I mean, we don't have to promote it, but you know, it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, you can find it. Definitely suggest checking it out. You will like it. Let us know too. You know, on on Instagram or wherever you follow us. I want to email us too. Just let us know what you think. All right, so get to my earworm of the week. Um, this may be considered a controversial kind of artist, depending on <laughs> what black person you ask. Oh, oh. <laughs> it, it's not not that bad. But <laughs> she's one of my favorite singers. I have seen her live once. Um, her name is Leanne Le Havis. Uh, a British. R&B singer, kind of, but she has some folk elements. She plays guitar also. Um, <clears throat> I saw her live at Center Stage when her album Blood was uh, had just come out. And the, re- the controversy that she got caught up in is for the Brit Awards, uh, her album wasn't nominated. And because of the Oscars so white, 
campaign at the time. Some people were doing the Brit Awards, so white, and uh, because and in defense of her, mm. you know, taking up for her, and she didn't really care for that. Um, Which is absolutely she. Right. <laughs> she thought it was it was uh, a racist thing to do. Oh, that's an interesting thing to say, but okay. So that angle kind of turned people off to her, mm. uh, and then it was like. Two years later, <laughs> that she even comes out with anything new, but perhaps some people haven't forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this song from her. I uh, think this is her third album. It's self-titled, and it's a song called "Bittersweet." And um, I think y'all like this one, so we'll play that and we'll be right back. Bittersweet by Leanne LaHavis from her self-titled album, but it's her third one. God, you don't hear singing like that a lot nowadays. It's not allowed. If you want to be popular, it's not allowed. Oh, wow. I was, okay, I see why her albums are so critically acclaimed. Yeah, that's, that's some very powerful vocals. And like I've said, I don't want it to make it seem like I prefer one country's music over the other, but sometimes in the UK, they care just a little bit more. (laughs) They care just a little bit more. (laughs) That was was good. That was good. Mm. Uh, Yeah, you should check out her album. 
I, I recommend that. Maybe, maybe uh, the Gallagher brothers were on to something when they <laughs> talked about just how good they were, and they were just speaking for Britain in general. I don't know, but that, that was really good. Yeah. So that will bring us to the end of this episode. And um, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And I can pull up the album again. There we go. So, <laughs> Ben, what should we end this episode with? Favorite color. I love that one. It's got some great synth to it. And I know I kind of focused in on, on some other songs. I'm not ragging on the other songs, but I just, the songs I love, I love. So I just wanted to focus on But yeah, this is one that I really, really like that has some really cool synth on it, on her voice, some vocoder effects. Um, it's not completely a cappella like Imogen Heap's um, Hide and Seek. But when you hear it start out, it kind of starts out like it was inspired by it with those vocals. All right, so we'll end it with that. Favorite Color by Carly Rae Jepsen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. Out of control.